All right, we're not off James 5.16. I think we, uh, I was getting some questions on this and it just seems like I haven't quite given everybody the, the handle I want on, uh, want them to have on this. So we're going to spend some more weeks, no, just one more week here, probably just one more, <laughs> trying to uh, get a better handle on all this. So we'll look at some other examples of this. Uh, and as I was meditating on this, there's, I came up with four situations that you will see this prayer effective in. And we've already covered some of those. And there may be more than four, but we're going to take a look at the, the four anyway. But as we were looking at last time, we were here, faith-filled prayers engage the authority and promises of God given to us. That is a faith-filled, that is a prayer of faith that will engage the authority and the promises of God given to us. Fervency in prayer engages the enemy against the plans and purpose of God and the messengers God sends to accomplish them. Uh, we, I think we put this before. Fervent prayers are those prayers that stand apart. No, I didn't get I wrote this one down, just kind of a summary here. Hopefully it helps you. But fervent prayers are those prayers that stand apart from having faith to believe I receive it now. It is prayer that knows the will of God and that there is opposition to that will by forces of darkness, be they of men or fallen beings. Force is applied against those in opposition to what God wants to do. It seems that without a person on earth to pray in this way, what God wills will not come about. That's just a little summary of what we have gone into so far. But in James 5.16, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then he went on, talked about it. Elijah, as an example, we showed you some other examples in Scripture. And we're going to look at some other places where we see this type of prayer as well. He talks about the prayer of faith in chapter 1, fervent prayer in chapter 5. They are different prayers. And as Brother Hagin would teach us, different prayers have different rules, different, uh, different things they follow. The first thing is, this is what we had gone over. The fervent prayer is for the plans of God. Fervent prayer would be for the plans of God. These are plans that are against the enemy's plans or to bring something to God's people. These are the plans of God that he has, plans to stop what the enemy is doing or plans to bring something good to the people of God. James uses the example of Elijah to demonstrate this in praying against rain. And then again, when he prays for it. Now notice a time in it. It seems that he prayed for the three and a half years that there would not be any rain. It seems that he prayed for maybe an hour or two that it would rain. Fervent prayer is not about the length of time. There are sometimes a fervent prayer is short and sometimes a fervent prayer is long. With Daniel, we saw it lasted three weeks that he was fervently praying on this particular matter. Other times it was, it was a, a lot shorter. But, but, um, that is the one one situation we'll see. The second situation is for revelations from God. This is the second situation. And there are those, that these are those to a believer seeking it. There's revelation that will come from God. Believers are seeking after that revelation. And there's fervent prayer to bring that revelation about. Examples here would be, um, I put Pharaoh, I did not mean to, 
to write Pharaoh in on that one, but um, trying to think if I was thinking of the you nope, know, this is uh, it should be um, the king's dream, not Pharaoh. Right position, wrong name. But just right into the king's dream in Daniel chapter two, where he had his friends pray through the night while he sought after God for this revelation. And he received a revelation, but they were all fervently praying. In Daniel chapter 10, we had him fervently praying because he received a revelation from God and then wanted to go on and to, to, um, find out what that meant. And that's where the opposition came from the enemy. The enemy was trying to keep that from Daniel. God sent it immediately. Daniel's prayers had nothing to do to move God, but they were apparently necessary to move the enemy out of the way. So those are some of the examples for revelation. It is not always needed. Revelation does not always need fervent prayer to get it. In Daniel chapter 9, he prayed a prayer of repentance, not a prayer seeking revelation, but just a prayer of repentance once he saw what was in the Word of God. And as soon as he was finished praying, the angel came with the answer. So that didn't take very long at all. The dreams of Pharaoh that Joseph interpreted, uh, Pharaoh had the dreams and Joseph was brought in. Well, he didn't go away and pray at all. He just told him right off the bat, this is what it was. So just because it's revelations involved doesn't mean that we need to be in fervent prayer. The enemy opposed what Daniel was hearing in Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12. The enemy had no opposition in Daniel chapter 9. There are other places in the scripture where there was no opposition to the revelation. So more often it seems that revelation comes without opposition, but sometimes it comes with an op, uh, with opposition. The New Testament example of this God gives us revelation in the spirit, in our spirit, because we have his spirit on the inside of us. In the Old Testament, revelation was delivered through angels. Angelic forces engage other fallen angels, and that's where the battle comes in. I I don't see the same type of a battle taking place when people are receiving revelation in the New Testament because it's coming to their spirit. So keep that in mind as you as you go on. But those two situations we've already talked about. Let's talk about some other ones here. In Ephesians chapter 1 and 3, you could also probably include Colossians chapter 1 and there, but we're, we're not getting into that one here. We're just going to cover these two prayers. This is fervent prayer in that Paul continually prayed this on a daily basis. He's not praying in faith and saying, well, I believe God that I received this now and just praying it the one time and then, and then that's it. He says, every time I make mention of you in my prayers, I pray this for you. So there's there's a fervency that's there. It's not a stand on the prayer that you made. It is continually coming after it, which is what we see in the area of fervent prayer, which is what we see with James's example in Elijah and others that we have uh, looked to as well. But let's take a look at this in Ephesians chapter 1. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion, 
and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's take a, a little bit of time to go through this. His prayer was that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 17, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Does God want us to receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him? Then the prayer is not to move God. The prayer is to get what God wants to us. That there would be some kind of opposition in the way. There would be something that would be hindering that process from happening. Uh, God wants us to grow in that, but just because God wants us to grow in those things doesn't mean that it has automatically happened. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Are the eyes of every Christian, because they are a Christian, enlightened? No, they are not. We can talk to a lot of Christians out there and you just uh, have a little conversation with them. You can say, man, you are not enlightened. You do not know some of the truth in the Word of God. But he's praying that their eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Apparently not everyone knows the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And apparently not everyone knows the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And just because I know some of that doesn't mean I know all of it. There's more that I can grow in. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Well, we could spend a long time on that because people just do not know the power that is at work in us. And we keep going after all these other things which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now watch this part here. This is how easy people can get off. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Examine this scripture. Look at what this is talking about. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Is raising Jesus from the dead what gave him authority? Look at the scripture. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come. Is Jesus' name above every name because he was raised from the dead? No. His name is above every name because of where he was seated. Not because of his death on the cross and not because of him being raised from the dead. The reason his name is above every other name is because of where God seated him because of the death on the cross and because of being raised and because of his victory in life over sin. He was able to seat him far above all principality and powers. It is the seat of Christ that puts his name above every name, which is why you constantly see people taking away from the name of Jesus. We are always weakening the name. We are trying to put other things into that place of authority, into that place of power. It is not the blood. It is not the death. It is not the raising. It is the seating of Jesus Christ on the throne at the Father's right hand. That's where his name was exalted. Any teaching that comes against that is against the things of God. 
if I accept that into my life, I will hinder myself from receiving other revelation knowledge. Because if you accept what is false, when what is true comes along, you will reject it. You cannot accept. We've mentioned that to you before in whatever other series we were, we were at before. But you cannot accept what is false without it having an effect on the truth that you will accept. Because I accept certain things. If you were to go out to a bridge and you were to see that bridge and you were to accept something and say that bridge is going to fall apart. You will reject the truth that you, that bridge will hold you. You'll reject it because you've accepted something that is false. That's why we have to be on guard. And that's why Jesus taught a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. You have to be on guard against what is false and weed out what is false. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come. Not only in this age but also that which is to come. Where he is seated, that seating has an effect upon this earth and upon the next. Upon the next age, which is the age of the millennial reign. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Because of where he seats. The authority of Jesus' name does not come from the blood. It does not come from the body. It comes from the seat God Put him in. Don't let anybody ever take that away from you. And don't let any doctrine ever come in that weakens that or softens that. It is the seating of where he is that puts him far above all principality and power. Not a little bit above, far above. If he is far above, then that name is greater than anything that will come against it. So what else do we need beside the name of Jesus? for victory in our life. What else do we need beside the name of Jesus? But if the enemy can convince us the name of Jesus is not enough, you need whatever else it might be. I, we have weakened the name for me. And if I don't believe, if I don't accept the truth of what the name of Jesus is, then I will reject, uh, I've accepted a lie and I will reject whatever truth comes in about that. Anyway, that's just a, the side note in this. All these things all believers can walk in. Everything that is in this is something that a believer can walk in. So are these things? I'm sure worded that differently. must have changed it. But all these things, all believers can walk in. All these things, all believers can walk in. All these things, all believers will. Or are these things, believers will walk in. Are they? These are things that I can walk in. These are things that are available to me, but it does not mean that I will walk in them. I have to do something to walk in those things. I have to, I have to go after them. I have to do something. That's why Paul is there praying. He knows these things are available. These are, I guess I did word it right. Okay. These are things that all believers can walk in. These are, these are things we should walk in. It is not automatic that I will walk in them, but they are available to me. I can walk in it. Just like if you go out for lunch tomorrow, you can eat healthy. And you can eat unhealthy. 
You can do either one, can't you? Now, I should do one or the other. But sometimes because of time constraints, we end up doing what we know we shouldn't do. So just because I can do something doesn't mean that I will do it. But it doesn't, just because I don't do it doesn't mean it wasn't available. So Paul is praying for these things that you will walk in these things. They're available to you. As a believer, they are here. You can walk in them. But he is praying on a regular basis. Every time he makes mention of them in his prayers, he prays these things for them. That they would they would grow in this. Now, many of you have prayed these things for yourself. And when you did, you saw yourself grow in these things. And as Brother Hagin would often teach us, and tell us, pray them until you're satisfied. And then quit if you want. And then if you get unsatisfied down the road, pray them again. There's no no restriction how often you can pray them or that you have to pray them or, or any of those things. But this is what Paul would do. So what are the things that would hinder? If these are things that I can walk in, if these are things that I should walk in, what are the things that would hinder me that cause me to not walk in them? So I wrote down a few things, which um, it's not an exhaustive list. It's just some things that, that came to my mind that would hinder us. One is ignorance and not growing to correct it. We're all in our Christian walk. We are ignorant of certain things. But we grow to try and correct it. I pursue understanding of the word to try. And, but some Christians, they just don't they don't desire to grow. They're okay with being ignorant. Another thing is leaven or false doctrine. If I let leaven or false doctrine get in, that's going to be a hindrance to me accepting it. So the enemy loves to bring false doctrine to us because if I accept what is false, I will reject what is true. There's a lack of diligent study of the pursuit of truth. I may study a little, may read here and there, but I don't, uh, I don't really go after it. You can tell the difference between a Christian who really goes after the study of the Word and one who just casually reads and just lets whatever happen, happen. Well, I just open my Bible and point and whatever comes to my mind. That's not a person who has, who's diligently studying. They're not going to come to the truth that they should. They'll be very easy to deceive. Another would be pride and selfishness. Pride and selfishness will hinder you from seeing the things in the Word of God that you should. They'll be like blinders. Not walking or growing in love. If I don't allow my love walk to grow, that's going to be a hindrance to me seeing these things. Here's a, here's another one. Being unfruitful. We're supposed to bear fruit. If I don't bear fruit, that's going to hinder me from what I see in the Scriptures. Because as I walk out what I understand, I can see more. But if I don't walk out what I understand, I won't see anything more. Let's go over to Ephesians passages in 3.14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. Does God want you to be strengthened? Absolutely. He wants you to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. We're not trying to move God. We're trying to move whatever obstacles are in the way from being strengthened. Do you know Christians that are not strengthened? That go through life kind of weak and just uh, be pushed around by all kinds of situations, circumstances, whatever's going on. 
Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Well, that apparently means that if Paul has to pray this for believers, that Christ would dwell or live in your heart through faith, that it is possible for a believer to not have this situation going on. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Well, that's making an an assumption there (laughs) that you are rooted and grounded in love. There's a lot of Christians that are not rooted and grounded in love. But if you, as I put myself in a position to be rooted and grounded in love, these things can come about. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If I am not walking in the love of God, I will not understand it any better. I have to take what I understand of the love of God, put it into practice and start walking it out. And then I understand more. Every time I get sidetracked with pride, every time I get sidetracked with selfishness, every time I get sidetracked and just say, that's my personality. That's the, I love this one. That's the prophet in me. No, that's your flesh. Every time I allow that to walk out of me, it is hindering me from walking in love. And according to Paul here, if I'm not walking in that way, they just be rooted and grounded in love, I'm not going to be able to comprehend it will stop my comprehension. So he's praying for them in this way. He also shows you one of the hindrances there. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Now most of us love that scripture. Oh, God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. But you see, if my thinking is not in line with what he is praying here, then my thinking will go askew. And my thinking will not be in line with what the word of God is or who God is. And I will think things that God says I have no part of that. So these other things have to be be so first. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be glory in, in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now it seems that the main hindrance in these things in this third situation comes from what is in us. The things that are in us is what hinders us. So this situation here, the intents and desires of God. God has intents. God has desires. He has things He wants us to walk in. But just because God desires them, just because God wants them, doesn't mean that it happens. Just like you can have a son or a daughter. You can have a friend. You can have someone that you were mentoring. And you may have great intents and desires for them to go in a certain direction. That a certain direction is better for them or good for them. But just because you have those intents and desires doesn't mean they walk in it. They have to follow some of the things that you tell them, some of the things that you show them in order to to accomplish that. The same thing with God. God has these intents. He has these desires for us to walk in, things that He wants us to pursue, things that He wants to be going on in our life. But it doesn't mean that they will. It seems the main hindrances to these things would come from what is in us. This could be wrong thoughts. This could be wrong feelings. This could be uh, uh, dictated by all, all this stuff. Things that are in us. False doctrine. The enemy loves putting false doctrine in you. So here's a, here's a list of three things that, uh, we, that would fit this. What we do know that's wrong. I put in parentheses there. That's, that's wrong. What we do know that's wrong. What I know that's wrong will hinder me from walking in the things of God. Second one, what we don't know that's truth. I put in, that's truth in parentheses. But what we do know that's wrong, that's going to be a hindrance to me because I think I know it, but it's not right. 
that's that's going to hinder you. You know, if you're going to go out there and you're going to do some electrical work in your house, then you thought that the 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 power box that the breaker ought to be flipped this way for off, but that's not true. Well, that's going to that's going to be a problem. You may believe that it's true, but if it's not true, you're gonna, you're going to have some uh, some difficulties with that. Now, I don't work around electricity a whole lot, so when I do walk around, work around it, I exercise extreme caution. And I turn that breaker off, and then I test it. I find something that's on, the, if I'm working on, on a certain outlet, I find a light that is on that same outlet, and uh, I, I make sure that when I turn it off, that that light goes off. All right, it tells me that's, that's not foolproof. That, that's not going to make sure that it's, that it's not working because uh, it might be the light is on a spot that uh, got cut off or uh, anyway it's 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 not I know it's not foolproof and we lived in a house uh, for a few years that was built by an electrician. I would not ever recommend buying a house that was built by an electrician. It's it, you you don't know what's going on because when they know how to do stuff they push the limits. And uh, my wife's grandfather, he pushed the limits. He did stuff on this that we, we couldn't figure it out. In fact, there was one place in there that, that uh, if we threw the breaker off, certain things would go on. And if we threw the breaker on, other things would go off. And other, it, it just, we couldn't figure it out. <laughs> it just, he built it. And all kinds of stuff was, was kind of crazy with that. So uh, even after I do all that, I, t- I have a little meter that tells me whether the wires are live. And I put that little meter there, and if that meter is beeping, then I got a live wire here, and I'm not messing with it yet until I figure out how to get that power off. Now, some people that are electricians, they can work on live wires and not get hurt. I am not one of those people. I don't try and become one of those people. Uh, I've been shocked by electricity before. I have a respect for it. (laughs) But anyway, what we do know that's wrong, that will hinder us. What we don't know that's true, that will hinder us. I've got to expand my area of truth that I understand. And here's the third one. What we think we can or cannot change. There are some Christians who think they can change things. The Word of God says you cannot. Then there are some Christians who think they cannot change things. The Word of God says they can. My belief on that will hinder me. i got to make sure that I have God's belief on it and understand, did God say I can change this or did God say I can't change this? And that will help you in... And what you're doing. So, the enemy will try to put the wrong stuff in you. That's the thing the enemy is going to try and do. He is going to try and put the wrong stuff in you. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in the five-fold ministry is to weed this stuff out. If, the, if everyone's doing their job and the person is listening, then we can weed some of these things out. But not all the time is uh, people listening and not all the time is people doing what they're supposed to be doing. There are things that the enemy could come against or the believer may not press in to satisfy whatever conditions are imposed. Some of these things the enemy is going to try and hinder from coming to you. He's going to try and confuse the issue. He's going to try and put lies into your into your life. Or there are some things the believer may not press in to satisfy whatever conditions are imposed. God says you need to walk in love in order to understand the love that God has. If I don't meet those conditions, I'm not going to, I'm not going to learn these things. So I got to find out what does God say I have to do in order to grow in this and make sure that I do it. Now here's the last one. 
This one might throw you a little bit. It took me a little while. I spent probably more time on this one trying to get an understanding on it. I was meditating on some things when I was out there in California and came upon this particular passage and a bunch of other ones too. But we settled down just to to look at this in Leviticus 16. That's that book that most people avoid. But here we're going to take a look at uh, chapter 16. Not all of it, but some of it. Before we get there, the judgments of God, when we pray fervent prayers, we can alter the judgments of God. We can change the judgments of God. These are... Uh, the judgments of God are those that are against or that will affect a single believer or a group of believers. These are judgments of God that are against or that will affect single believers or a group of believers. Sometimes the judgment of God has come out in the scriptures against believers, against the people of God. And sometimes those judgments have come against a group that will affect the people of God. Those, two, those are the two situations I can see in the Word of God. Not saying there are only two situations. I'm just saying there are the two situations I see in the Word of God. Here's one. Abraham and Lot. We're not reading it, but in Genesis 18, if you want to read it, it's in 16 through 33. This is where Abraham comes to, to God and where the, the angel Lord is down there with two of the other angels and they're talking with Abraham. And they say, should I hide from Abraham what it is I'm going to do? And so he uh, tells them that he's here to, to see if Sodom and Gomorrah are as bad as as he has heard and he's going to take a visual inspection of the place and if it is he's going to bring judgment down upon the city and so Abraham is concerned because he knows that Lot is in one of those cities and so he says would you would you bring judgment upon it if there are 50 righteous people there and he says no I I, I won't do that now I think up until then he would have he said, no, I won't do it for 50. If there's 50 righteous people in the place, I won't do it. Well, will you do it if there's... And of course, you know, he, he starts whittling on down until he gets all the way down to 10. Will you do it if there's 10 righteous people in there? So he says, this is the judgment. This is the plan of God. God has come down to bring judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham is actually exercising a bit of fervent prayer. Most times we look at this, we look at it as intercession. But is he truly interceding for Lot? The more I look at this, he's not interceding for Lot. If he's interceding for Lot, then Lot is in a wrong spot. Lot is in a back, uh, backslidden state. And in order to get out of that, what's Lot have to do? He'd have to repent. In the story, when the angels come into the, uh, into the city, and, of course, the men are out there. Is there any repentance on the part of Lot? Is there any call for it from the angels? So it didn't seem to be, as we look at the story, any change in Lot himself. So you can't really say that Abraham is interceding for Lot because all he's trying to do is spare the city so that Lot is spared. That's his main thing. I don't think Abraham cares about the city. I think he only cares about his his nephew. And so what the angel does is he goes in there and says, look, we can't find ten people, so I'm not bound to uh, to not exercise judgment. I am still going to bring judgment upon the city. Apparently, if he would have found ten people, he would have stopped the judgment. Well, that's a judgment that came from God. The purpose and will of God was to judge the city. 
And Abraham, Abraham interfered with that in a fervent type of a prayer in that he kept coming to him. Now, the fervent prayer doesn't have the aspect of faith in that I know what the will of God is here. I'm going to pray it and stand on it and believe it. The fervent prayer is, as Elijah demonstrated, this is what God said, no rain on the earth. And so he kept coming day after day, it seems anyway. He came day after day and prayed and stood against that uh, rain, those rain clouds from being brought in from the forces of evil to try and stop what God had purposed. And so he kept coming after it. He he hindered that. So Abraham kept coming after it. He said, all right, what about 50? How about 40? How about 30? How about 20? Get all the way on down. And he gets down to 10. And uh, he figures, I think he thought at that point, either I, sh- I can't go any further. Or he's thinking at least there's got, there's got to be at least 10 righteous people. One of, whatever way he was thinking, he, he has to be thinking something about it. I think we got it. I think we're good. But the, the angel went in and apparently there weren't 10 people. And so uh, Lot was extracted from the city. And that's how they, but the judgment came upon the city. But this is uh, where we can see fervent prayer. We're not looking at that story because there's, there's not a whole lot of detail for us to get into. But there is a story that we can. Um, in Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 through 40, this is the revolt of Korah. And this is where Korah uh, spoke against Aaron and Moses and, you know, who are you guys and how come we only have this position and you have this, all that sort of stuff. And so you know how it went. The earth opened up, swallowed them up. They're gone. And, of course, if we were all there and we saw the earth open up and swallow 250 people and their tents and all their stuff and fire come down and burn up the people that were bringing the incense, uh, that would have a, a righteous effect upon us. And we would have fixed ourselves up. Not the people of Israel, though. The very next day, we pick up in verse 41. On the next day, that's the next day after the earth opened up and swallowed up all the rebellious people and came down and burned all the people that were making the the uh, bad fire before God. On the next day, all the congregation, the children of Israel, complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. Now understand what happened here. This is on the next day. All night long, they're all going to each other's tents. And they start talking about what happened. And they begin to feed off each other. They begin to tell each other things that are not true. So that by the time they get to the next day, they believe that Moses did this. Now if I believed that Moses opened up the earth just by saying it. Just by saying, these people die normal deaths then God's not in this. But if the earth swallows up, or earth opens up and swallows them up, then you know. And the earth opened up as soon as he got done talking and swallowed them up. So they had gone to the point to believe that Moses did it through all their conversations that they had all night. By the time they get there in the morning, they have swallowed that deception. You see, the enemy wants to put the wrong stuff in you so that you're resistant to the right stuff and not going to be following after the plan of God. So they complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, that, of course, people yesterday were complaining against Moses and Aaron, and they all died. You would think, you wouldn't do it. So they come saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. 
Do not take what God did and attribute it to man and don't take what man does and attribute it to God and don't take what the devil does and attribute it to God. That comes under the area of blasphemy, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Don't do it. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting and suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the meeting and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Get away from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. This is the second time he has said this in this one chapter. He said it yesterday. He's saying it again today. Uh, verse 21. If you want to go back when you when you read that. Verse 21. He said it then. He says ex- just exactly the same thing here. Get away from among this congregation that I may consume them in a mo- moment. In other words, I want to judge them. My will right now is to judge them and burn them all up. But I don't want to, I want to include you in this. I want to keep you from it. So get away from them so it makes it easier for me. And I can just burn them all up. So he says, get away from this congregation. Then I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. So Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. Put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses. And apparently Moses, either in the words that the Lord spoke to him, or some other way, came into the knowledge that the plague had begun. Aaron is right there. Aaron does not have this knowledge. They, they fell on their faces. So Moses said there, and take a censer and put fire in it from the altar, put incense on it, and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them, for wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. If God said to Moses, this is what you need to do, then Aaron probably would have heard it. If God spoke to him in the spirit, Aaron wouldn't have. Or if Moses is just doing what he thinks he needs to do to stop this. But what you're seeing here is that Moses oftentimes has stood in fervent prayer to keep the judgment of God from coming upon the people. It is not a prayer of faith. He does not say in the name of Jesus. He does not say... Because the Word of God said he does not have a declaration of faith like that, but he continually comes after it. And so Aaron is the one who goes back and grabs the, the incense, grabs the, the um, all the stuff, and goes out into the congregation. What's Moses doing? He's down on his face interceding for the people. He is praying for the people. Fervent prayer can be a short period of time or a long period of time. The length of time does not define the fervency. The fervency is in a force you are joining up with to come against either what Satan has planned against God or, in this case, what God has planned against His people. And Moses came up and met against this force. This is not the only time that Moses has stood in the way from God doing it. It's not the only time that God says, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to make of you a great people. And I'm going to wipe all these, these turkeys out. We're going to start all over again. But he says, the plague has begun. The plague came from God. God sent, devil didn't send this as far as we can. God, this is a judgment from God. God is judging. He is fed up with these people. He is mad with these people. He wants to come down himself and wipe them out. But Moses is still there. 
So he can't just come down and burn the whole group up, apparently, because that would get Moses. So that's why he says, Moses, get out of the way. And Moses doesn't get out of the way. He stays there. Because he is exerting a force. Remember when he reminded God? God, if you wipe them out, then all the people over here are going to say, you couldn't accomplish. And so he was exerting a force against what God said he wanted to do. See, this is a tough area of prayer. This is not an area of prayer that everybody will get into. Because you really have to know who God is. And Elijah did. He knew who God was. And he knew how to come against this. And he was not intimidated by the forces of evil. And he was not intimidated or scared of the fact that I'm going to say, I'm going to declare no rain until I say so. He knew what forces were he was up against. He knew that the enemy was going to try and bring rain. He knew he had to stand in the, in the way of that. And he wasn't intimidated at all because he saw God, saw God as over this. But here the plague has begun. So Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran it ran into the midst of the assembly and already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people and he stood between the dead and the living so the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700. This did not happen over a long period of time. 14,700 died beside those who died in the Korah incident which is small potatoes compared to 14,700. That is a lot. That was some kind of plague. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting for the plague had stopped. Isn't it interesting that God declares my purpose here now is to wipe them out. But Moses accessed another purpose. He says my purpose here is to send this plague among them. And Moses accessed another purpose. This is fervent praying. This is, <clears throat> this is a different kind of praying. This is not the prayer of faith. This is not just find out, well God says I'm healed, I'm healed. This is not that kind of prayer. This is the kind of prayer that needs to stand against a force. That needs to stand against stuff that's coming against you. Whether it be the, the enemy, whether it be people, it could be all kinds of things that it can come from. The forces of darkness are in people and it is in uh, fallen spirits. It's in the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan. These are things that are around there. Now, the purpose of this was sent was to judge the evil. And Moses stood in the way of that. Now, this would seem to be a time when fervency and intercession are found in the same prayer. Because certainly there is a gap between Israel and God. But there's a fervency with the intercession. And they're found in the same prayer. Now, I wrote this in your outline, what it means for God to be a good and just God. We have to understand what it means to be a good and a just God. If you had a judge, we have a judge who's on a court somewhere, and we find out that a court case comes before him, and in that court case, this, uh, as I say, a woman comes to the, to there, and she comes into the court, that this, this person on the, the other table, had come against them, stolen all their money, had uh, adversely affected all her kids, had uh, abused them, had uh, had done things to them, and just it was a terrible situation. It's one of those stories that just really gets your your heart 
pulls at your heart and you say, oh, how could somebody do so much evil against this, this poor woman over here? And the, the things are coming against it. And the judge says, all right, well, this is not good what you did and I'm going to give you a stern warning and send you home. Don't do it again. Will you promise me I won't do it again? Uh, yes, sir, I promise I won't do it again. I won't kill anybody anymore. I won't steal from them anymore. And I won't abuse any more children. All right, as long as you promise. Now, would that be a good judge? Would not be. None of us would think it is. In order for God to be a good and a just judge, He has got to exercise judgment as well as mercy. You cannot be a good judge and only exercise mercy. If we saw a judge and all they did was exercise mercy, we would say that is a bad judge. When we say God is a good and just God, that means when He meets evil, He deals with it. But Moses knows there's other ways, there's another aspect of God to to do. And this takes some fervency. This takes some knowledge. You will not do this as a novice. So we're going to take a look at a passage here, a parable that may have puzzled people. I know I've never looked at it from this perspective. This is the first time I'm really looking at this this parable from this perspective. But the need for fervent prayer may be, I'll put this in your outline for you, the need for fervent prayer may be why one of the tactics of the enemy is to cause us to lose heart in the plan of God. Very often people lose heart in the plan of God. We have prophets that get up and they say, this is God's will, this is where we're going, this is what we're going to do, and we don't see it. And we don't see that happen. We have prophets that stand up and say, judgment is coming upon this evil in the nation, judgment is coming upon this thing in the nation, and then we don't see it, nothing happens. And we can lose heart. Have you ever lost heart seeing injustice going on and seemingly nothing going on about it? We can lose heart. We can say, why did the prophets say this? Why did this go on? And we can lose heart in all this. So, I went back over here to Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. That's his purpose. This is the purpose of the parable. There is no other purpose stated except that we do not lose heart. Saying... There was a, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me for my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Is there any doubt that this judge is unjust, not God-fearing, and doesn't care about people? I mean, three times he has stated this. He's trying to make sure you understand there's nothing good in this judge. This judge does not represent anything good and certainly does not represent God. And shall God not avenge his own elect? Or hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Now, have you ever had difficulty with this passage? Wondering about, you know, all the things that it, that it teaches? The purpose of the passage 
is that we would not lose heart in prayer. That's the purpose of the passage. He does not. He, he comes out and he says, this is why I'm telling you this story. So the judge is not God. The widow wants justice. Justice is had even though the judge has no desire for it. The judge does not desire the justice the widow wants. The purpose of the parable is to not lose heart in prayer. The purpose is not how to move God. This parable does not tell you how to move God into things that are needed. Where the purpose of this parable is do not lose heart in prayer. Which means there are certain kinds of prayers that Jesus is telling us that you won't get involved with. That you are coming against a force that does not fear God and does not honor man. But don't you lose heart in your prayers. You keep coming against it. Because even though that judge, even though that person in authority, even though that person there does not fear God and does not honor man, judgment will come. Stay with it. What's he basically teaching them? Stay fervent in prayer. He's not teaching them this about how to get healed. He's not teaching them this about how to cast out demon spirits. He's teaching them this stay fervent in prayer. Find out what the will of God is. Then press into it and pursue it. That doctrine, that thing that makes its way around, well, God is in control, will stop people from fervently praying. Why should I fervently pray? Nothing's going to happen that God doesn't want. If God wants it to happen, it'll happen. If God doesn't want it to happen, it won't happen. And we have totally taken out fervent prayer from the church when they believe such things. Don't hold on to that. Don't hang on to those things. I wrote this down. Fervent prayer is not without faith. Don't get the idea that fervent prayer doesn't have faith involved. It is just not the prayer of faith. It's just not the same application of faith found in the prayer of faith. There is no pray it and believe it is done. That's not the kind of faith that's involved here. It's a pray and believe that what God said He wants to do, He will do if we stay in the fight. Moses stayed in the fight. He didn't just back off and say, well, God, wipe him out. He stayed in the fight. He's basically, Moses is basically standing over there and said, God, you called me to bring this group of people to this promised land. I'm not backing off of that. That's what you called me to do. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not backing off letting you wipe them out. This is what you called me to do. This is what you told me you wanted to do. And you did not tell me that not knowing all this stuff. And so he, he, he held on to it. He knew what the will of God is. When you get involved in fervent prayer, you will encounter a contrary will in the enemy. You will encounter a contrary will with people. And you may even encounter a contrary stated will with God as the judgment side of God has been activated. As we saw in this case and in others. But you've got to know your God. And stand, God, this is what you said. You told me to lead these people. 
This is what you want to do. We got to know our God. Fervent prayer is not prayer for the novice. Most people think, well, I'm just going to pray really intense. Well, I'm just going to stay at it. And they apply fervent prayer to what the prayer of faith is. And you start mixing up rules, guidelines, you will get yourself in a mess. And that's why we have people <coughs> people saying, well, I keep praying and asking God to remove this. I keep praying and asking God to heal me. I keep praying and asking God to take care of this. And it just hasn't happened yet. But I'm going to keep on praying. <laughs> that is not the, the, the deal here. The fervent praying is coming against forces of darkness that do not fear God and do not honor men. They are there for themselves. But God is greater. And in this parable, he tells you, even though it doesn't look real good, don't you lose heart. You stay in the fight. And in the end, justice will come. And he says, will I not come speedily? Now, of course, it's God's speedily, (laughs) which is sometimes different from our speedily. But... I just wanted to spend a little bit more time on this because I didn't think that we quite had the, the handle on, uh, on what this, this prayer is. And who knows, you know, once you get onto something, we don't always come back to it uh, right away. But understand fervent prayer. Look for this in Scripture. There's more examples of fervent prayer in Scripture than what I've given you. There, there's more of them than just this. It's, it's there. It is not done by novices. It's done by people who know God, know His will, and have faith that that will is what God wants to do. A lot of us would have backed off that faith that was needed that Moses walked in when he stood up to God and says, don't wipe them out. We would have backed out. That was a man of faith who stood up to that. I believe that what you said is true and I'm not backing down. Because there's a judgment side of God. In order for him to be a good God, you have to understand there is a judgment side of God. Or he would not be a good God. He would not be a good judge. But know who he is. Know what he wants to do. Father, I thank you for fervent prayer. I thank you that we can understand that there are forces that we come against in prayer. And we are not to lose heart. But we are to stay with it. Stay in the battle. Stay in the fight. And we will be victorious, victorious on the other end. Just because we don't see what it seems like we ought to see doesn't mean that we back down. We stay with it. And I thank you that you will bring it about. And justice will come. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, does that give you a little better handle of, of what fervent prayer is? Maybe better than the last, last two weeks? Um, I just wanted to, um, when I hear, um, as the teaching, you know, um, about fervent prayer, uh, it seemed like the same word would be petition prayer. Is it the same as petition prayer? Like, uh, Moses petitioned the Lord regarding, um, uh, not Moses, um, Abraham petitioned the Lord about you know, if there were ten righteous, so he petitioned the Lord. There's an aspect to it. I look at petition prayer more as a, uh, God saying, "This is what I want to do," and I say, "Well, I want to do this." And you just, we come to a, 
And I walked back there. I want to make sure that we didn't make noise. <clears throat> I would say that uh, there's a petitioning involved in it. Mm-hmm. Not always are we petitioning God, but there is a there can be a petitioning involved. Um, there and are times in the Word where God has said something, and man, a man, has petitioned God with something else, and either that was accepted. Or it was not. Yeah, Jesus in the garden. But that wasn't accepted. <laughs> it was But there are times that God actually listened to the petition and accepted it. Right. All right, we'll, we'll do it that way. That, to me, is more of a petition Pe- prayer. Mm-hmm. But there is petitioning involved in, in, in this. Certainly. For, right. Uh, and also, um, I just wanted to know um, the uh, Greek meaning of that word, fervent. No, I was asking, what oh, is the Greek? We dealt with the Greek meaning on the fervent back in the first one, <clears throat> which was okay. uh, two Wednesdays ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a long, it was a deep dive under the word. Oh, okay. Uh, so go back to the first one first, and check it okay. out. We actually combed that word through scripture. Okay, I missed that. And okay. uh, and, and looked at that one. And I, I, I would do it injustice to try and do it uh, okay. three weeks removed <laughs> compared to that. Because I... It's one of those things you need to see the word through scripture as well as the definition. Okay. I just want to, um, can you repeat? You said fervent prayer is not without oh, faith. Sure. And For, then after that, you, what did you say? Yeah, I'll leave this up here too if anyone wants to write it down. And if anyone is listening and doesn't get it all, I can always email this paragraph out to you. Fervent prayer is not prayer without faith. It is just not the same application of faith found in the prayer of faith. There is no pray it and believe it. It is done faith. That's the prayer of faith. What's that? Oh, mail it. Okay. <laughs> there is no pray it and believe it. It is done faith. But pray and believe that what God said he wants to do, he will do if we stay in the fight. Prayer of faith doesn't have that kind of a fight. Because the name of Jesus is above all. There is no fight. The people who mix these two things up, they put a fight in on the things that are the prayer of faith. If I put a fight in the things that are prayer of faith, then my effort is what's involved. And that's why people aren't healed. That's why people aren't set free. That's why people are not walking in the things that the prayer of faith is to yield for them. But this is different. This is a different type of prayer. It's a different type of application. If you get a real good handle on this, you can see it in Scripture. You can see it in other places besides just the ones that we brought up here. But it's uh, the prayer of faith is, is, is different. When I stand and believe, I believe I'm healed now. I may not have received it now, but I believe I've received it now. The woman with the issue of blood. If I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be whole. That's the prayer of faith. There's no fervency in that prayer. She stayed with the, she kept on going with that confession, but that's not, that was not a fervency to come against a force that was coming against what God wanted to do. That was her faith being built up. And when she touched that, did anything, was there any hindrance there? Nope, man, she got zapped with the power. Jesus said, Whoa, who touched me? Because power went out. Because something, something happened. That's the prayer of faith. Fervent prayer is a different type of prayer, but it still involves faith in what God said. The faith that Moses walked in in this prayer, the faith that Elijah walked in, I mean, a lot of people are not even on the same playing field. 
they can't even see it. The kind of that kind of faith. They would be so quickly moved off of their stand because of what came against them. They won't be prepared. Uh, we need a mic to go. My question just had to do with you referenced Leviticus 16, judgments of God, Leviticus 16. And I was reading through that. I couldn't figure out where you were going in Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16, that's the story of the, well, the first part is the story of Korah. No. Did I give you the wrong reference? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Leviticus 16 is the day of oh, atonement. Numbers. Sorry about that. Sorry. I was, that's why I was like, okay, I missed something. I got numbers staring at me in the face and I said Leviticus. Okay. Yeah, number 16, 1 through 40 is the part we skipped. 41 through 50 is the part we read. Thank Great. you. Thank you. You did have the wrong reference. Thank there. you. Anything else? All right. Well, hopefully we got the handle a little bit better. I always make, want to make sure that you have the proper handle on, on what the word says on it so that um, uh, it doesn't get, you don't lose it. If you have the proper handle, hold it. Yep. Is there a hold on a minute. You got to pass it back. They can't hear you online. <laughs> no, um, just a statement. The, so sometimes the reason why our prayers don't get answered is because we are, in fact, misusing the prayer of faith. And what I mean by that is, you know, like you were saying that with fervent prayer, it's coming against a force we're assuming like when we pray for healing Mm -hmm. that there's this force against our healing and that's not true that's not true and that's not true and that's what we and because we think that Mm -hmm. then we pray it incorrectly or we kind of get it all twisted around yep yep fervent prayer will not bring the results of prayer faithful right and if you and if you're mixing something in the prayer of faith that shouldn't be there, mm-hmm. a belief in your heart that you're coming against some kind of force, yep. that's not going to make it work either. Oh, yeah. That's not people, going to allow it to work. People who who engage in that sometimes they're prepared for a fight. Yeah, but His name is above every name. Every single disease, sickness that's put under the name, the name did it. There's no fight. Brother Hagen shared a story, and I summarizing that this came up in a conversation, but it's been too long since I've heard this story. I don't remember all the details. But he was talking about a situation where he was, the Lord told him, if this happens, it's a demon spirit that's involved. And that happened. So he knew a demon spirit was involved. And he cast out the demon spirit, but it didn't go. And the Lord was rebuking him about that later on. And he said, but I did cast it out. It didn't go. And I only remember this this part about it. He said, I told you. This is the Lord speaking to him. I told you. If you use my name, it has to go. And that was it. 
And um, I mean, the story is probably if you, I think it's in the I Believe in Visions. I think it's in that book. If you want to go back there and get the, the details better. He somehow came under the impression that this particular fight was a was a fight. It was a battle that he had to win. Much like the disciples came upon in Mark chapter 9. Why could we not cast it out? Well, there's unbelief. This, he said, because of your unbelief. That's what he said. Jesus said to him right there, because of your unbelief. And when he says this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting, he's not talking about the demon. He's talking about the, he's talking about the unbelief. Because Jesus wasn't out there praying and fasting. It's the, it's, it was that that was there. Jesus knew the demon had to go. So though the, the demon kicked up and, you know, made some, some fuss and a show, he, Jesus wasn't moved by that. They were. And they began to think that there was a fight. If I believe there's a fight, the devil can convince me that there's a fight and I need to enter into something like fervent prayer. And he may throw some of the examples at me in the Word. Don't you remember Elijah had to keep praying? Don't you remember that he had to keep saying, going to prayer until the rain came? you got to keep going. In. He's trying to mix it up. Don't let him mix it up. Can I... Um, this is just something that... Um that unfortunately, I think we see it a lot uh, in in the world and in the Christian community, where a person will pray um, to be healed of something like cancer, and then I don't know, maybe a year or a year and a half later, symptoms come back. Mm-hmm. So, what is the correct way of dealing with that whole situation? They prayed the prayer of faith. Mm-hmm. And um, witness um, healing, but symptoms start to come back, uh-huh. and unfortunately, sometimes symptoms come back, and then the person is the person, you know, dies or something like that. So, what are they dealing with in something like that? Oh, they're dealing with a liar. They, the enemy is constantly trying to get you to think something's not right. Um, Brother Hagen wrote that book. How to Keep Your Healing, a little mini book. And it's just there to, to tell you when you get healed, the enemy is going to try and attack. Did you feel that? Not, and that opens the door for that to come on in. If you remember, we were talking, uh, I don't know when it was, a series or two back, we were looking at the, at faith that if if you get prayed for at a meeting, hands are laid on you, the thing goes, the likelihood that you will hang on to that <clears throat> is less than if you achieved it on your own faith because your faith grew and the person who just received healing, they didn't grow their faith. And a lot of times they don't, they don't pay any attention to their faith afterwards. They just go on with life and wait for the thing to go on. Brother Hagen has some great examples on that. But when you when you grow your faith up, you and you face obstacles along the way. Your faith has grown. You get thrown by that stuff. Uh, that's just simply when you need to, to take authority. Devil, I am healed. You are not going to put this back on me. And uh, even the, the healing that Brother Hagen had when he was young, the enemy tried to come back with him. You're not healed. This is what's what's going on. He stood against it. 
And that's what we need to do. You know, he didn't just teach that. He actually, you know, walked through that and uh, taught it to us. So we knew how to, how to deal with it. But yeah, those, those thoughts will come. If you entertain them, you're going to give an opportunity. Just don't entertain them. That's when you laugh at the devil. That's when you know, uh, I believe, I am healed. And that's what we need to stand on. Yeah, if, you, if, if people get pulled into anything that resembles fervent faith in that, well, I just need to come against that and the devil will throw them. Well, you just need to come against that and you just need to... No. no. You all remember the Sister Grace story, don't you? Anybody not know the Sister Grace story? Brother Hagin's Sister Grace story? The uh, first time I heard that, I, I think I mentioned this to you, I can still remember sitting in RCA, Brother Hagin up there on the stage and telling that story the first time I heard it. Oh, man, it threw me. It just shook me. Um, we had a uh, sister Gray was a uh, he was at a meeting, and he said this was his, him younger, and he wasn't as bold as he was uh, in later years. So they were having this meeting, and around the time of the near the end of the worship, a woman had come into the church and she approached the pastor and whispered something in his ear and the pastor came up to the front and he said um, Sister Gray has uh, and I, I forget how she, she took sick but she anyway she was in the hospital and the doctor doesn't think she's going to make it so we need to all pray that God would heal her and so they all prayed and uh, for a complete healing and uh, amen and Brother Hagen came up and preached the meeting and the next night he said the same thing happened Towards the end of the worship service, the same woman came in, caught hold of the pastor, whispered in his ear. Pastor came up, and he said, Sister Gray made it through the night. They didn't think she was going to, but she did. And the doctor says, it looks like she's going to make it now. But she's still terribly weak. So let's pray that God does a complete work and strengthens her body. And so the whole church got together and they started praying that God would do a complete work and strengthen her body. And Brother Hagin was on the stage and he said it was like a voice behind him had said, that's it. They've taken her out of my hands now. She'll be dead in three days. And she was. You see, they didn't play, pray for a partial work. They prayed the first night for a complete work. The enemy just wants to try and sucker you into doubting your faith. Doubting the prayer of faith that you made. This is why these are two different types of prayers. Do not mix them. <clears throat> there are certain things you don't mix. You do not mix the prayer of faith with fervent prayer. It is a different kind of thing. You cannot go at it the same way. It's going after different purposes. Faith is involved in fervent prayer. It is a different kind of faith than the prayer of faith is. Keep it straight. It's, it's not hard. It's not complex. It's made complex by people because we take our experience and we try and understand the Word of God through our experience. You cannot understand the Word of God through your experience. You will get messed up. You have to understand your experience through the Word of God. If you take any other approach, it won't happen. It looks like you grabbed the mic back for something. Yes. Uh, Sharon uh, Walbridge says... You're saying that all sickness must yield to the name of Jesus. Yes. 
I didn't say that. I'll pull, I'll pull Keith Moore. I didn't say it. <laughs> but that's what the word says. All sickness is, is, is under that. Now that doesn't mean that every person can take authority. Just because Jesus has the authority, it doesn't mean every believer can take the authority. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean that you walk in that authority, which is why Paul was praying some of the things that he prayed in there. Because I can do things that compromise my authority. Remember the, the man, the centurion. I too am a man under authority. I say to this one, go and he goes, and to this one, come and he comes. On the basis of that is how he understood what Jesus was doing. But what a lot of Christians do is they are under their own authority trying to act out the authority of Jesus. If you live your life to do what you want to do and do not submit to the name of Jesus, you don't have the authority of the name of Jesus working in your life. And a lot of Christians are out at, at that way. They come to God when they're in trouble. They learn about the name of Jesus when they're in trouble. And then they try and exercise that. No, you cannot. Authority does not work that way. And the devil knows it. And if you want an example of that in Scripture, go over to where the seven sons of Sceva. In the name of Paul, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. They did not walk in the authority of Jesus, but they wanted to use the authority of Jesus. You cannot use the authority of Jesus and not walk in the authority of Jesus. Your walk has a whole lot to do with it. And if the devil can mess up your walk, he's messed up your authority. If you want another example of it, this is just off the top of my head, but another example of this is uh, Adam. We had to first get him to mess up his walk. And then his authority is gone. If you don't walk in the authority, under that authority, you don't have that authority. And that's what the devil wanted him to do. Has God really said? And so he took of the tree and ate. Even though God had said, don't do it. The higher you get in the kingdom of God, the higher you get in position, the higher you get in leadership, the higher you get in calling, whatever it is that you want to put in that, the higher you get in the things of God, the less choices you have. The less options you have. If you want to look in a case, an example of that, how many options did Moses have for messing up? How many options did Elijah have for messing up? Not, Not that many. And you can go through other people as well. The, the higher up you got, the less options you had. The house of Eli was wiped out. Why? Because a person in high up authority walking in, was not walking in that authority, was not doing the things he was supposed to do, was not listening to God. And therefore, he lost his life and the life of his sons. And Israel came into a, a great bit of trouble because of it as well. Does that answer the question? Okay. Good. Good question. I like that. 